Glad to be here today. All right, me too, me too. Hey, what if I told you that in the next 60 seconds, I can make you incredibly rich, all right? Would I have your attention at all? Okay, yeah. According to an article I read that was, uh, I think it came out a couple of months ago in Investopedia, get this, it said that uh, 47% of the world's household wealth is held by 1% of the world's population, right? So almost half the household wealth is, is held by 1% of the global population. Now, if, if I say that, you're going to say, well, who's in that 1%, right? And you're going to think, well, it's probably Bezos from uh, Amazon, right? Or uh, maybe uh, Bill Gates or Zuckerberg or guys like that that are really super wealthy. That, surely that's in the 1%, but that's not what the article said. The article said this, hold, hold on to your hat here. If you make $32,400 in a year, you're actually in the top 1%. That means that, that you have more money than almost half the rest of the, of the world population. 32,400. In fact, in equivalency, that would be like uh, 28,360 euros, 2.4 million Indian rupees, 224,969 Chinese yuan. Uh, That's a lot of money. And uh, you have that. In fact, it went on to say that Americans are fourth in the world as far as having and possessing household wealth. A uh, story has been told about Bill Gates that went to India and he visited a woman in a small little village. And uh, after he spoke to her, he moved on and a reporter came up next to her and uh, said, do you not know who you just talked to? You talked to the richest man in the world, to which he said, everyone from the West is rich, right? And that's really true. That If you travel abroad at all, that's exactly how they see you. Everyone in the world, everyone in the West particularly is rich. But is that wealth helping you? Is it making you happy? By the way, if you'd like to know where you stand on the global scale, on the global rich list, there's actually a website called the Global Rich List, and you can uh, plug in your annual income, and it will show you what percent of the population that you rank in, which is kind of an interesting thing uh, to do. But the question is, is, is your wealth uh, making you happy? Is it helping you? Uh, John D. Rockefeller, he said this, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie, of course, one of the wealthiest uh, men in the United States uh, history, said millionaires seldom smile. I guess down in today's hours, he might say billionaires uh, seldom uh, smile. So we're talking about bad advice, and we've been kind of debunking some bad advice. So here's a piece of bad advice. Get rich or die trying, all right? Just get rich, man. Do, do the, everything you can. Pick the, pick the degree that makes the most money. Pick the job that makes the most money. Do everything you can to make your uh, accumulation of wealth your number one objective. I believe, and the Bible backs it up, is really, really bad advice to make that what you live for. You know, we live in a culture that's consumed by money. We're consumed by things. We evaluate people by how much they take in and what their net worth uh, actually is. But, but what does God say about money? And what does God say uh, uh, are the warning signs of it? 
And what does God expect from us who are in the top 1%? What does God want from us? Now, by the way, little uh, side note here, we're not in a capital campaign, all right? And I'm not trying to get you to give more of the budget, all right? We're just sitting here saying, what does the Bible say about this very important topic? Jesus taught more about money than he did about heaven and hell, about the afterlife. This is, there's a reason is because it's very important to who we are and how we follow Jesus. So I want you to get your Bible out. Everybody get a Bible out. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. And we're going to dive into this passage here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 3. All right? This is the Word of God. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, his young pastor in training, and he starts off talking about false teachers. These are people that were in the early church that were really causing a lot of problems. Uh, they were in, in error theologically. They were in error uh, uh, ethically and morally. They were causing a lot of confusion, a lot of division in the churches. They were kind of cycling through. Uh, and one of the things that he said they taught is that godliness, we'll look at it, that godliness is a means of gain. See that? That godliness is a means of gain. In other words, what they taught is that if you love God and if you do the right things, if you go to church or you pray a certain way or you do some good things, then God is going to make you rich. That following God is a way to gain more material wealth. All right? Now, by the way, let me just say that that's still out there today, right? There's still a lot of people out there today that say, man, if you sow a seed, that God's going to refill it tenfold. And, it, and, and man, if you, if you want to be rich, then you just need to do this and do this. And God will, God's obligated to make you rich. And I believe that is a, that is a American heresy that is nowhere in the Bible. In fact, I mean, let's just think about it this way. Most of the disciples died poor. Jesus had no financial gain. And then you can go on from there. Uh, so if you hear somebody preaching that, you need to turn off the TV, turn off the radio, or run out the back door, all right? Uh, or if it's up here, charge the stage, all right? Not right now, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, because that, that's not what the Bible teaches. However, uh, the Bible does teach some very important things about money. And I think Paul was talking about these false teachers, and he says, yeah, and they think that God is a means to gain, and then it kind of spins him off on this whole discussion about money and talking about 
what does God think about it and some of the dangers of pursuing wealth. And so what, what he's going to roll into here are some dangers of pursuing wealth. Here's the main thought that, uh, that I want to give you. Here it is. Here's the main thought. The rich life is not about gathering money, but about using money to glorify God. The rich life is not about how much you can compile and how much you can gather and how much you can hoard and how much you can send on and how big you can swell up your bank account. The, the really, truly rich life that God has for you is about being a conduit of that resource to glorify God and make a difference for eternity. And so Paul's going to talk about these warning signs about money. So get your paper out, get your pen out, jot a couple of these thoughts down. Here's some warnings. Number one, he warns them that money is only temporary. It's only temporary. Look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. He's saying it's just temporary. You know, you're not going to hold on to this forever. You're not, you're not going to take it with you. Proverbs uh, 23 verse 5 says, In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. For it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Anybody say amen to that, right? Just one bear market, just one downturn. Somebody, some company creators or something like that happens. And all of a sudden, have we had all this? Whoa, where did it all go, man? It just, it just evaporated right away from us. It is temporary at best. Uh, listen, uh, you came into the world without anything. And you're going out of the world without anything. When John D. Rockefeller died, uh, somebody snuggled up next to his accountant and said, well, hey, tell me, so how much did old John D. leave? To which the accountant said, all of it. He left all of it. You know, you've heard it said you don't see any U-Hauls on the back of a hearse. And that's really true. Listen, I've done funerals for very wealthy people, and I've done funerals for very poor people, and they all die the same. They die the same. They don't take one thing with them. So his warning is that this is just temporary. I mean, none of this is going to affect your eternity. None of this is going to help you in the afterlife. I mean, the, the old Egyptians thought if they packed inside the pyramid all these wealth and jewels that they would be wealthy in the afterlife. You know, the Chinese emperors believed that they could create these terracotta warriors and they would have all this wealth, but, but it just turned to dust. They cannot take it with you. You cannot take it with you. It is only temporary. And so if you give your whole life to accumulating wealth, then you die, you die poor except you leave people behind you to spend all the money that you've worked so hard for. It's only temporary. So that's the first warning. The second warning is this, that loving money is really a trap. It's a trap. Look at verse 9. He said, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. See that? Underline that. Into a snare, into a trap into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Now, listen, that is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. If I did a series on misquoted verses, that would have to be one of them because people always say, well, you know, money's the root of all, all evil. Money's the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is a, is a root of all kinds of evils. 
And in fact, it kind of corresponds with verse 9 where he says, those who desire to be rich. So the idea of desiring and loving, that's the issue. If you love it, if you desire it, if you think about it all the time, if it consumes you, if you're obsessed with it, if everything that you evaluate is based on the dollar, then that will lead you down a road that you will end up doing things that you regret. I mean, how many times have you known somebody that, you know, they, they started to try to run with this crowd and hang out with this group and this corporation or this business and they're going up the fast track. But in order to do that, you got to go to these CD places and you got to perform this and go do that. And all of a sudden, compromise after compromise after compromise, it, it leads them down this road of ruin. This is very, very common. And he said it's really a trap because you, once you gain some, then you need more. Then you want some, then you got, got to have more. You got to have more. You got to be bigger. You got to have better. You got to have more square foot. You got to have a newer model. You got to have, you got to have this kind of vacation. You got to, you got to have this kind of suit. You got to have this kind of, I mean, it's just, it never ends. It's just more and more and more and more. Solomon, who was obviously in his time the wealthiest man, had tremendous power. In fact, in his own admission, he said, I deny myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. In other words, I just was off the chain. I just, I just did, I just lived it all up. I took it all in, all right? That guy, once he talked about money, this is what he said. Now listen to it. This is out of Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10. He said, those who love money, that's what we're talking about, the love of money. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Isn't that true? So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. So... Paul is warning us about this love of money. He said, listen, you got to understand, it's just temporary. It has nothing to do with where you're going to spend your vast eternity. Your time on this earth is so short, and then, then there's eternity. And so don't give your whole life to something that's so temporary. And then he takes it up a notch, and he warns an even greater warning. Not only is it temporary, but it can actually take you down a road to, to become somebody you don't want to become. And it can consume your life. And then he writes the one more time, even greater warning, and that's that money can be toxic to your soul. Look at verse 10. He says, it is through this craving, see that, this idea of loving, desiring, this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Jesus said that it is, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get to heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but that should shock you. That should worry you. Because there's something intoxicating and luring about money and things that can move you away from God. In fact, Paul says that some of these folks have actually wandered from the faith. And I think that when Paul penned those words, he was actually thinking about people. I think he was thinking about individuals. He could call out names. Yeah, that guy, he was so on fire for God, and then now he's not, and that one, and that one, and that one. And I wonder if somebody comes to your mind right now. Somebody come to your mind that, man, they were walking with God, and then they started hitting it big, and now they don't anymore. I remember I had a good friend that, man, he was on the 
On every Sunday, he would be ran on the front row and had his Bible open and, and he had his journal and he was writing and he was spending time with God, loving his wife, had three great kids. Man, he was generous. He was serving. He was really an up and coming leader in the church. We were spending time with him and then his business just blew up. I mean, he just started making so much money. He was in the construction business and I mean, it was just project after project. And so he upgraded his house and then again and then again, he was just making so much money. He didn't really know what to do with it all. But, you know, he went from every Sunday to every other, then once a month, then every six weeks. And then I'd see him every once in a while on the back row peeking in. Then I heard through the grapevine that he had an affair, that he left his wife, that his kids are spun out of control, that he's built a big old house and he lives in it by himself. And still today, I don't think he's ever recovered from it. You know, this, we need to take this to heart, that if money is all that you are consumed with, it will consume you, and, and it can war against your very soul. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 19, verse 24, or Matthew 6, verse 24, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now listen, he's not saying you don't go to a job. It doesn't mean that you don't even earn a profit. I'm not saying that. But it's not about how much money you have. It's how much it has you and how much control it has on you and how much that is the desire of your heart. See, the words love, desire, craving, that's the problem, but it's intoxicating. And the more you have, the more you want. And the more you possess, the more you want to possess. And you're not content or satisfied. And it can war against your very soul. So Paul is warning us. He goes, man, it's temporary. Man, it'll lead you down a road. It'll consume you. And man, it can even cause you to walk away from God. Again, the main thing that he's saying here is this. The rich life is not about gathering money. It's not about hoarding. It's not about your bottom line. It's not about your balance sheet. It's not about your portfolio. It's not about your square footage. The, the rich life is not about that. That's what the world says it's about. No, the rich life is really about using the money God has entrusted to you for eternal things, to use it in a way that glorifies God. So Paul, you know, spent some time warning us about the dangers of being consumed by money. And then he kind of pivots. And in verse 17, he talks directly to those who have resources and tells them what to do with it. All right. So this is, I think, the only place in the Bible that I can find where God is instructing people with wealth on how to handle it. And so uh, if, since we're all, most of us in this room are in the top 1% of the population that has over half the household income, we need to hear this. All right. So look at verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. Now that, that means with authority. Get after them. Charge them with the authority that I've given you. Not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There are, uh, they are to, be, to do good, uh, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I love those words. So let me just break it down. What is, what is Paul telling us? What does God want from us if we have wealth? The first thing he says is be humble. Be humble. He says, um, 
If you're rich in this present age, verse 17, charge them not to be haughty. Haughty means to be arrogant, to be literally high-minded. Think you're all that. Think that somehow you're, you're something because you have wealth. He said you need to be humble. You need to choose intentionally to humble yourself. Now, that, this is something you've got to choose to do. You've got to say, I'm going to put myself in positions where I am humbling myself. That's a good thing for you if you have wealth. In fact, he said you need to be humble in two ways. You need to be humble before other people. You need, to, you need to never think that you are better than somebody else just because you have more money than they are. Never confuse wealth with worth. See, I hated the term net worth. How much are they worth? What's their net worth? I hate that term when it talks about financial things because you should never confuse wealth with worth. Wealth is just dollars. Wealth is just investment. It comes and it goes. But your worth is determined that you're creating the image of God and that Christ died for you. That is where you find your worth, see. And so we never confuse wealth of somebody with their worth. And so if you have wealth, you need to be sure that you are always humble with other people, that you, you treat that person that cleans your office, that guy that parks your car, that one that you go through the car wash and he serves you, that waitress at the, at the restaurant. You treat them with the same respect that you would treat any CEO that walks in your office because they matter to God and they should matter to us. He said, you humble yourself before people. He also said, you humble yourself before God. He said, not to trust in the uncertainty of wealth, but to trust God. In other words, you need to say, God, I realize that you are the one that has given me this, and this is like this huge responsibility. You've given me these resources, and the more resources, the more responsibility I have to use them well. So God, I realize you are the source of this, and I'm not saying, well, I've got it all together. So, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom on how to use it. Give me wisdom on how to leverage it for your kingdom. And, Lord, if it all goes away tomorrow, then you will be my confidence. You will be my joy. You will be my treasure. You say, oh, Craig, it's not all going away tomorrow. Man, you don't understand. I got my, 501, my 501k. And it's, it's all packed out. And I got some savings over here. And I got this over here. Yeah, you know what? You can get one diagnosis. And in a year, it could all be gone. You have one downturn. And it could all be gone. We have a crash in the market. It could all be gone. It's happened before. Where is your confidence? Is it in the uncertainty of riches or is it in God who gave it to you to begin with? So he starts off and he says, the best thing you can do is be humble and choose to put yourself in places where you must humble yourself before others. That's good for you. Second thing he said to do is to serve, to be a servant. Look at verse 18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. I just love the play on words here. He's saying, if you want to be rich, then be rich in good works. <laughs> if you want to focus on being rich, then focus on being rich in good deeds. In other words, if you want, to, if you want a reputation of being rich, have a reputation of being wealthy in good deeds. Have a reputation of being extravagant in love. Have a reputation of being luxurious and over the top in the way that you care for people. So that when you die, they won't say, oh, yeah, he had a lot of money. But they'll say, man, that was a good man. That was a good woman that cared for people and served people and realized that with great wealth came great responsibility. Be rich in good works. By the way, this is why, as a church, we are so focused 
on pouring out in the community. This is why, uh, by the way, we, we, we raised some resources to go into the hurting, the needy, uh, championing life of the unborn, uh, caring for those that are coming out of prison, for those that are being abused, uh, those that need uh, clothes and food and all that kind of thing. We raised, by the way, you out of your generosity raised over $320,000 to go right into this community, which I think is really cool. Can we just celebrate that for just a minute? That that is really, really awesome. And, and some of you got out there and you rolled up your sleeves and you served uh, underprivileged families and you gave them food and you gave them gifts for Christmas. And, and uh, some of you were involved in our Freedom Church, which is caring for those that are coming out of prison. You go there every single week and are going into halfway houses and discipling and sharing the gospel. Uh, many of you are caring for women that are uh, uh, coming out of abusive situations. Some of you are actually discipling men that are homeless through one of our partner ministries. Uh, this spring, we're going to pour, we're going to deploy hundreds of people to refurbish houses, and you're going to get your rakes and your shovels and your hammers and your gloves, and you're going to sweat. You're going to go work and help people. And, and you know why we do that? We do that because they, uh, that person needs help. Yes. But we do that too, because we need to humble ourselves and serve. We need to be rich in good works because that honors God and it glorifies him. He said, so if you have wealth, be humble, humble yourself. If you have wealth, serve other people, be a servant. And then there's one more thing. Check this out. I'm not making this stuff up. It's just coming right out of the Bible, folks. Uh, last one is be generous. Be humble, be a servant, and be generous. Look at verse 18. To be generous, circle that, and, and ready to share. Circle those words, ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You know, what does God expect from us if we're in the top 1% of the world population? that has over half the world's wealth. What does God expect from you and expect from me? Why does he give this to us? Why has he chosen to put you in the United States at this point in time to earn the amount that you do? Why has he chosen to give that to you? Well, the Bible tells us this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Listen to what it says. It's not on the screen, so you just have to listen. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. He says, you will be enriched in every way. I'm going to expand your business. I'm going to give you that bonus at the end of the year. I'm going to, I'm going to expand some opportunities for you. You're going to be enriched in every way. Why? So you can just upgrade? No. Why does he enrich you in every way? So that you can always be generous. See, the reason why God gives you more is so that you can have the opportunity to be generous. I want you to understand this because this is really important. This is really, really important. Generosity is important because it does three things. Number one, it helps the person that in need, right? There's somebody in need and they're crying out to God saying, God, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know where it's going to come from. God, I'm at the end of my rope. God, would you help me? And when you are generous, you are being the answer to that prayer. And so God gets the glory for it. Because God provided, but he provided through you, see. So generosity benefits those in need. Generosity benefits you because generosity is the only antidote for materialism. 
So the more I give, then I realize that this isn't defining me. This money is how much I have does not define me. And I'm giving away and loosening the grip of materialism on my life. And so it's good for me. So it helps those in need. It helps me to not be consumed by the desire of money. And then another thing, and this is really cool, it actually stores up treasure in heaven. Jesus said, don't, don't store up treasure here where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasure in heaven. And he's talking about giving. And that's exactly what Paul mentions here. You're storing up treasure for the future. Well, what future is he talking about? He's talking about heaven. And what does that mean? Does that mean that I, I have this bank account? Boop, 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 you know, it's going up the more I give. I, you know, I know guys that teach that. I don't really know what it means, to be honest with you. But I know, I, I believe it means this. I believe that God sees every act of generosity. And God will reward every act of generosity. You know, it may not be a big deal. Maybe five bucks to this person here or $20, $20 bill at the guy on the street. Or, or it may be God leading you to give a substantial gift to an area of ministry. But God sees it. And God rewards it when it's given out of a heart of generosity as a steward of God's grace. Isn't that good of God to see it and reward it? You see, the rich life is not what this world is teaching you. If I was talking to a bunch of college kids, I would say the rich life is not how much you can gain, how much you can have, how big a house you can live in, how much money you make. You can have that and waste your life. You can waste it. The rich life, the truly rich life, is a life that takes what God has given you and you use it for the glory of God. But you do so with humility. And you do so with a view of responsibility to serve others. And you do it with a generous heart. That is what will change the world. And that's what will change you and will keep you close to God. You know, I think the greatest example of this is Jesus himself. Jesus is the greatest example. Jesus is our example, our, the one we follow, right? To know and follow Jesus. And Jesus did this. Look, just listen, I'm close with this. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. In other words, Jesus left heaven, all the glory and the wealth, and innumerable wealth of heaven, and he came here into poverty. Why? To be obedient to his father's mission, to rescue people like you and like me. And he died in poverty so that you, by faith, could be reconciled to God and have all the eternal riches of heaven. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And then he said this, follow me. Take what I have given you, as minuscule as it is compared to the riches of Christ, and, and just leverage it for kingdom things. And let me use you. Don't let these things control you. Let me use you. Don't waste your life. Use it for the glory of God.